This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Tuesdays. Uh, Oh man, I forgot to put up my book. Guess what? I got a new book. It's coming out on uh, August the 8th. We're going to be going all over the country signing copies of this new book. You can go grab your copy of American Playbook at every bookstore in America. Should be there. Every single bookstore. Um, And I'm going to be coming all over the country. You can get autographed copies. I'll share the links uh, for the autographed copies that I've already signed. I already signed 6,000 autographed copies. um, And those are available as well. Takes a long time, by the way, to sign 6,000 autographed copies. I also have recorded all 10 hours of the show. I told you I want to open number one on the New York Times bestseller list. That's my goal. They don't want to put me there. They don't want to admit that I sold the most books on a nonfiction week. Again, I haven't yet heard that Prince Harry or Michelle Obama or somebody super famous is coming out with a book on August 8th. So... I think I have a chance to sell the most nonfiction books in America. The last book, I got to look it up and make sure. But I I know we were in the top 10. I think we were seven. We might have been four, somewhere in that range. Uh, Five years ago? Five years ago when that book came out, this is my most recent book. And so I'd encourage all of you. It's available on Amazon. You can go buy the audio book. If you would rather have 10 hours of me talking and reading every single book, you can go grab it there. All right, we've got a bunch of stories to dive into. Uh, Right off the top, Pat Fitzgerald fired yesterday afternoon shortly after we finished the OutKick show. Uh, And I had not spent much time talking about the Pat Fitzgerald story uh, because candidly I was at a wedding in Chicago uh, when all this news came out on Friday and uh, I didn't really have a lot of time to read up and sort of familiarize myself with the case overall. Um, I think this is an example, in my opinion, of a couple of players deciding they wanted to take out a head coach. Um, And I think the allegations here, to the extent that they are true, um, are not sufficient enough to have led to Pat Fitzgerald's firing. If they were, if they were, I think Northwestern should have announced a firing immediately instead of waiting The university president, the athletic director, they suspended him for two weeks after they reviewed this university council uh, investigation. And then they decided to fire him on Monday after a lot of people got upset over the weekend at the fact that he wasn't fired. And to me, own your decision, okay? Uh, You can't allow the reaction to change your decision. In fact, if you do that, then I think the president and the AD should be fired. Look, here's the reality. If you are in a position of leadership and you are being paid substantial amount of money, ultimately what you are being paid for is at almost every profession, your judgment. So if you're the university president and the athletic director and you reviewed these findings 
and you found out that, uh, that nothing else had come out, and you decided, hey, we don't need to fire the guy, and then people get mad on social media and you fire him, what do I need you for? You're not actually making a decision. You're just following whatever the herd says should happen. Um, and so I think Pat Fitzgerald, uh, based on the allegations that have been out so far, won't sit out very long. I think he'll likely get another better job. He'll go rehab himself with Nick Saban at the school of, uh, of rehabbed coaches, or he'll go somewhere else. 99.9%, I think this is significant, of the Northwestern football players and formerly associated individuals have all come out and said that they support Pat Fitzgerald. That seems consequential to me. Uh, so uh, I, I, I think Pat Fitzgerald will get another job and I think he'll be fine. Now, some knucklehead Alabama fans, and I probably shouldn't even have to say knucklehead Alabama fans because it's such a predominant uh, number of Alabama fans have said, oh, you treating Pat Fitzgerald different than you treated Nate Oates. Yeah. Nate Oates had a player that brought a loaded handgun to a murder scene after being requested to bring a loaded handgun to his teammate and then a mom was shot with that handgun. That's a lot more serious than allegations of hazing. So yes, my expectation for coaches is don't allow players who are involved in murders to be members of your team. Hazing, while it shouldn't be uh, uh, occurring, is far less significant of an act than murder and being associated with a murder. I can't believe that some people are so dumb they can't see the difference there. Um, And, you know, I, I look around sometimes and I wonder, like, how have I had so much success? And the reason is lots of people in media are really dumb, right? I work hard, yes. I've got a lot of jobs, yes. But ultimately, many people in media are just dumb. And that's why I've had so much success. Because over time, intelligence wins. And I look around and I'm like, some of the people in media are such knuckleheads. They're really dumb. And I look at uh, this Pat Fitzgerald case and I actually see it connected to the R. Bryles case. Football is interesting, right? Because there's over 100 players to say nothing of the support staff and everybody else that are involved in playing football. And I don't think enough time is spent on this. You have 85 scholarship players. You probably have at least 20 walk-ons. You probably have at least 20 managers. There are a ton of guys on every football team. And so the idea that every football coach knows about every single thing going on with his players is just not true. I think it's more likely to be true in basketball, right? Because you can put everybody on a basketball team inside of a van and you can drive from one place to another. You tend to have, as a coach, a lot more of a personal relationship with a basketball team, with a baseball team, with a group of people where there aren't very many of them. But if you talk to any coach in America in college and you say, hey, 
of your 85 scholarship players, how many of them do you know really, really well? It's hard to have a deep relationship with 85 different scholarship players plus all the walk-ons, the managers, everything else. Um, I've heard it analogized, and I think it's often true. Football's an aircraft carrier. Every other team in a college athletics is a speedboat. It's relatively easy to turn a speedboat in the river. It's really hard to turn an aircraft carrier. So what I saw happen with Art Bryles, nobody ever actually looked at the evidence in the Art Bryles case. They wanted Art Bryles to be evil, conniving, uh, uh, sexual assault, uh, cover-up-er. And then you go look at all the evidence, and first of all, a lot of the sexual assault cases got overturned, or there were never any convictions in those cases. Also, um, it, it, it is the case that Art Bryles was never really active on social media and didn't even really understand the mob that got him fired and that demanded that he never be allowed to have another job in coaching. And what's wild about this is Baylor paid out Art Bryles all of his contract. And this is so important because it's like nobody ever looks at the evidence. Do you think Baylor would have paid out Art Bryles millions and millions of dollars if they could have fired him for cause? This is me putting my lawyer hat on here, and I suspect this will be a huge part of what I would imagine will be a big lawsuit that Pat Fitzgerald will end up bringing. The difference between for cause and without cause. Being a really bad coach and losing a lot of games, if you get fired, you still get paid all of your money. So let's say you have a four-year, $20 million contract left, and you go 2-10, and 2-10, and and you still have two years left on your contract and you get fired, you're being fired for being a really bad coach, but you still get paid the remainder of your contract. You would, in theory, under the example I just gave, four-year, $20 million contract, two and 10, two and 10, you're fired. You'd still get paid $10 million. If, however, you are found to have violated your contract and are fired for cause, that's not losing. Losing is not cause. It means you violated the terms of your contract. Maybe you were uh, committing NCAA violations. Maybe you engaged in criminal behavior. Then you wouldn't get paid out. Tennessee right now, for instance, is in the middle of a dispute with Jeremy Pruitt arguing that they fired him for cause and therefore they owe him no more money under his contract. Said he committed NCAA violations. They found out about they're not going to pay him. Baylor paid Art Bryles. It'll be fascinating to see what ends up happening with the Pat Fitzgerald case, but it is consequential that Baylor paid out Art Bryles all the money that he was owed under his contract, yet most people never actually look at the evidence, and so they still believe that Art Bryles shouldn't be allowed to coach. So I am skeptical that most people don't look at the evidence, Most people don't see what the facts are and therefore their opinions are not very consistent and often not very intelligent. And then you add in that many people, particularly in college, are directly connected to one program or another and they don't care what that program does, but they want to throw the book at another program, right? 
So there's very little consistency. And I've used this example. Some of you have been watching and or listening to me since I was doing local radio in Nashville, back when I was doing 3HL. I used to tell college football fans this all the time when I did that show. I would say, okay, whatever your most hated rival is, pretend that they did what your school is accused of doing by the NCAA. This is back when you used to get NCAA punishments all the time. I said, whatever the difference is between you, what you think should happen to your hated rival and what you think should happen to your school, that's bias, right? Because it's the exact same scenario applied to your school. Most college football and basketball fans are cognitively unable to be consistent in their application of penalty in fact because they have such a rooting interest for their favorite team. Their favorite team and their favorite players can do anything. Brandon Miller can bring a loaded gun to the murder scene and a mom can get killed after he's asked to bring a gun to that scene. And Alabama fans will say, oh, Clay Travis is biased for even talking about this. But if Auburn's football quarterback brought a loaded gun that was used to kill a mom after he was texted to bring it, and the news came out right before the Iron Bowl, Alabama fans would say, this is unacceptable that this quarterback is playing. That's bias. If you're not applying the same standards to every program, whether it's your hated rival or your beloved school, then you are guilty of bias. And most fans are guilty of bias. Remember Ray Rice after he knocked out his fiance? People don't talk about this. He wasn't suspended for a while. In fact, he wasn't suspended till people got furious at Roger Goodell for not suspending him longer. Ray Rice showed up at training camp and got a standing ovation from Baltimore Ravens fans. Ray Lewis may well have murdered two people and he has a statue outside of the Baltimore Ravens Stadium. Think about that. Ray Lewis, charged with double murder, flipped and testified against another defendant. Nobody's ever been convicted of double murder in that Atlanta double homicide. We know two people got stabbed to death. Ray Lewis hit his suit, kept playing, has a statue outside of Baltimore Ravens Stadium. Ray Lewis, Ray Rice gets standing ovation when he shows up for uh, training camp. Fans are amoral. If you make it more likely that your team will win, fans will almost accept anything. I get it. I'm from the South. I grew up an SEC fan. SEC fans will forgive any violation if it makes it more likely that their team is going to win a championship or beat a rival. I really believe that. Um, And that's what you have to keep in the back of your mind as you analyze all these stories. Hey, Clay Travis right here. Outkick the show is dominating. We're continuing to roll. More coming back in a moment. But first... 
This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. This. I want to give, I want to give a shout out here. So people say, oh, all you ever do is talk about bad things. How come we don't get more praise? How come we don't get more, hey, this is awesome, good job? Let me say, hey, this is awesome, good job. I want to give this credit to Sam Ponder and Sage Steele. Sam Ponder uh, responded to Megan Rapinoe. Let me, well, let me start with this because I need to tell you the background story. Megan Rapinoe, in an interview with Time Magazine, said that Dave Chappelle, comedian Dave Chappelle, Sage Steele, and Martina Navratilova, with their comments, were making it more likely that trans people get killed. That's what Megan Rapino said. Megan Rapino said Dave Chappelle's jokes in his Netflix special, special make it more likely that trans people are going to get killed. Sage Steele and Martina Navratilova reacting <coughs> to the idea of men playing in women's sports. Also, their comments put trans people in danger. Well, uh, this is pretty great. Sam Ponder came out and said, Sage says, Sam Ponder's at ESPN, Sage says biological males shouldn't compete in female sports and now she's to blame for violence. This is an attempt to silence good faith discussion and debate. Disagree passionately, say she's wrong and why, but to claim she is responsible for violence is absurd. Amen. I agree with Sam Ponder. Sage Steele also weighed in. Yes, Sam, it's absurd and predictable. This is what happens when people allow their emotions to get in the way of facts and science, especially when they're fighting to keep a false narrative alive. You said it best after Armour attacked you, Nancy Armour at uh, USA Today. Biology is not bigotry. Hashtag save women's sports. One of our writers at OutKick then raised a really interesting question. Will anyone at ESPN other than Sam Ponder defend Sage Steele from Megan Rapinoe's baseless attack? Will ESPN put out a statement like it did when a random person uh, on a sports talk show called Mina Kimes a nip? Doesn't seem like it. Um, And that's true. ESPN has refused to defend Sam Ponder. USA Today called her a bigot. They've refused to uh, defend Sage Steele now that Megan Rapinoe is saying what she's saying is helping to get people killed. Sage Steele and Sam Ponder are speaking out and they are on the right side of history here. Credit to both of these women at ESPN for speaking out in favor of a position that the vast majority of American sports fans endorse, but that ESPN is claiming is unacceptable with their corporate hierarchy. 
I don't know what's happened with Megan Rapinoe. I think she's kind of lost her mind. I think she's gone so woke that she doesn't care about basic facts anymore. If men are allowed to identify as women, every woman on the U.S. women's soccer team would eventually lose their jobs because men are way better at soccer than women. They're bigger, stronger, faster. As I talked about yesterday, 15-year-old boys in Dallas beat the U.S. women's soccer team soundly. 15-year-old boys in Dallas. These are not men. These are not even the best 15-year-old boys in the nation. These are the best 15-year-old boys in the Dallas, Texas area. They smoked the U.S. Women's World Cup champions. That's significant. Biology is real. Biology is not, uh, is not bigotry, as Sam Ponder said and said it well. But I give credit to both these women for speaking out. Um, I, I saw this. We had Glenn Youngkin on the show. And we asked him about running in 2024, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin. And I just want to get this on the record right now. What are we sitting at? It is Tuesday, July 11th, 2023. Lots can happen between now and next November. Lots can happen between now and January 15th when the Iowa caucuses begin. But I will tell you the two best, in my opinion, potential vice presidential candidates. I'll give you three, okay? Three best vice presidential candidates. If you ask me right now, Clay Travis, rank your three best VP candidates. This is whether Trump, DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley. This is no matter who ended up the Republican nominee. Who are the three best candidates? My number one best VP candidate is Brian Kemp. I think Brian Kemp, based on the ease with which he beat Stacey Abrams, seven and a half point win, Abrams spent over $100 million. I think Brian Kemp would guarantee that Georgia, with his network, with his ability to get out the vote, I think Brian Kemp would guarantee that Georgia votes red, votes for the Republican nominee in 2024. That would take Georgia off the board. I think the next two guys, if Glenn Youngkin could deliver the state of Virginia, and he said today on Clay and Buck that he thought Virginia could flip red, he wouldn't answer whether that was with him, with president or vice president on the ticket. But let's say he's VP. If Glenn Youngkin could deliver the state of Virginia as a VP running on a ticket, then Virginia would end any hope of Democrats winning in 2024. Because if Virginia flips, it also would mean a lot of other states that are close would go into the Republican camp. But Virginia by itself, the math does not work, essentially, for Democrats to win the presidency in 2024 if Virginia comes off the board. So Glenn Youngkin would be my number two This is my gold, silver, bronze, three best VP candidates. I reserve the right to change them. Uh, As we get closer to the election, this is on July 11th. This is Tuesday, July 11th, right now. Third, I would put John Sununu. Uh, He is right now, Chris Sununu. What the heck's the guy's name? This is the problem when you're a scion of a political family. I can never remember which one you are. The current governor of... uh, the current governor of uh, Chris Sununu. 
the current governor of New Hampshire, Chris Sununu, if he could deliver New Hampshire, that would take a state out of the blue camp and put it in the red camp. Now, Georgia and Brian Kemp won. Uh, two, Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. Three, Sununu uh, and New Hampshire. Those are my top three because I think all three governors could potentially flip their states from the Democrat camp to the Republican camp. That's the order that I would put them in right now. If Youngkin could definitely do it, he'd be my number one. A lot of people talking right now about Thread, uh, which is the Facebook, Meta, Instagram version of Twitter uh, and Twitter. Here's my theory on why Thread isn't going to work. I don't spend any time at all on Reddit. I don't spend any time at all on LinkedIn. I don't spend any time at all on Facebook. I spend a little bit of time on Instagram. Most of my social media time is on Twitter. I don't care what anybody else is saying on any of these other apps. TikTok, we got OutKick content up all the time. I have no idea whether my content is popular there or not. I spend a little bit of time on YouTube, uh, and I appreciate the 1.2 million of you who have subscribed to the OutKick YouTube channel, but I don't spend a lot of time worried about what anybody can say. Let me give you an example of that. I used to get messages all the time. People would say, oh my God, you're not going to believe what people are saying about your latest column on insert message board here. Tennessee sports fan message board. Ohio State fan sports message board. Whatever team it was. Say, I don't care. I can't see it. I'm glad that they're talking about it, but it doesn't really have any impact on me. Recently, somebody came to me and they said, man, people are really mad at you on Reddit over what you said about Andrew Tate. I was like, so? Why, explain to me why I should care, right? This is, my, this is my default answer for anything on social media. Explain to me why I should care other than for my own fun or for the growth of my brand, why I should care. I signed up for LinkedIn like 10 years ago. I don't know what my LinkedIn password is. I probably have a thousand LinkedIn messages. People may talk about me on LinkedIn sometimes. I don't really care. And my thing with Thread is, if you break down why each app really exists, and I bet I could do that quickly, like the essence of each app. For instance, Snapchat allows you to surreptitiously, by and large, uh, send messages back and forth with your friends that vanish and basically leave no trace and you can see if somebody takes a picture or whatever else of it, right? Snapchat is about short-term communication that vanishes forever. Instagram. By and large, Instagram is a visual medium that really good-looking people uh, take advantage of to convince you that your life can be as good as their life, right? Here's a smoking hot girl in a new dress, If you had that dress, your life would be way better. You should go buy it. Here's a couple. They're on a vacation. Look how beautiful that water is. Look how amazing that hotel is. Boy, if you were there, your life would be way better, right? Instagram is, by and large, an app built for good-looking people to make ugly people think that if they just had the clothes, the money, 
and the ability to go on trips like those, they would be as happy as the good-looking people falsely pretend that they are, right? The reason why social media is so powerful and so destructive to so many young girls is because it's everybody putting forth a fake version of their best day, especially on Instagram, while everybody else experiences their worst day, right? That's why I, this is my theory of like why teenage girls are super unhappy. Why, why have 30% of teenage girls thought about committing suicide in the last year? Because they're 14 years old, they've got braces, they've got zits, and they look at some smoking hot 22-year-old and they think, my life sucks, right? Or they look at the best looking girl in their high school and what she's doing and they think their life sucks and it makes them unhappy because they don't have the life that somebody else is pretending they have, okay? Twitter is basically the AP feed, right? The news feed of the day and then people react and fight about it. What's threads? LinkedIn is like the, you know, uh, the, 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 the uh, professional version of your, uh, uh, basically of your resume, right? Oh, it's an online resume where you can find a new job. Uh, congratulations. What's threads? It seems to me that Mark Zuckerberg has created a social app. By the way, Facebook is where your grandma can post photos and where your mom can post photos and interact with all of her old friends. Okay, basically. Um, What's threads? It's a place without conflict where people share things. The reason Twitter works is the conflict. If you had a book, it doesn't start and they lived happily ever after. There's a protagonist, there's an antagonist. Twitter has protagonist and antagonist and the perspective of the protagonist and the antagonist shifts based on what your own personal worldview is. Some of you consider me to be a protagonist. You agree with what I say. You are pro the arguments that I make. Others of you consider me to be an antagonist. You are anti the arguments that I make. You are anti the views that I share. Twitter allows protagonists and antagonists to dwell inside of the same app. That creates conflict, which creates interest. Threads or uh, Parler or Truth Social or Gab or whatever they are, Mastodon, is simply a collection of people who already agree. It eliminates the conflict from the news and debate of the day. Twitter is a conflict app. It is an ideas app. It is a First Amendment battleground. As soon as you create a silo, whether it's conservative thought or liberal thought, you lose the benefit or the reason for existence of the app. Threads is going to fail. Maybe it has some minor amount of success. But the reason why Twitter works is the conflict. Threads seems to me to be basically LinkedIn. It's fine. I don't know my LinkedIn password. I haven't been there in a decade. I bet most of you have not either unless you're trying to create an anodyne personality for yourself that leads to a better job than you have today. Twitter's about conflict. You can't replicate Twitter without creating conflict. Protagonist and antagonist. Thread doesn't have it. 
People keep saying, oh, I want to create. At least, at least the idea behind Parler, uh, behind uh, Truth, behind those apps was something that I support, which is true free speech doesn't exist, so we have to create it. That makes sense to me. But Elon Musk bought Twitter and effectively brought to life the idea that brought those platforms to life. I don't believe there's actually very many people out there that want there to be less conflict. People may say they want it, but it's like a show that ends by saying happily ever after. You don't watch for the happily ever after. You watch for the conflict that leads to the happily ever after. Twitter is the conflict. Uh, All right, tomorrow... I'm going to break down more of these because i got to go on television right now. I promise I'll talk about Casey DeSantis uh, as America's Karen, according to MSNBC. I'll talk about Joe Biden and his seven grandchildren and why this little girl in Arkansas, the four-year-old granddaughter, is such a compelling story. And I'll discuss Trump's legal strategy. All of that tomorrow, plus whatever the latest is in the news. But i got to bail right now uh, because i got to get ready. I'm going to be on Fox News in about uh, eight minutes. All right, love all of you. Go buy the book, American Playbook, DBAP unless you need to SBAP. I am Clay Travis, and this has been Outkick, the show.